You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, well, good evening, everybody. As David said, tonight we begin our series. It's going to take us through the year. It's going to take us through the Bible from cover to cover. So the first thing I need you to do is to have a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one in the seat pocket underneath the seat in front of you. If you prefer to use your phone, as many of us are with the F260 reading plan, you can go to YouVersion. You can have that prompt you every day. And if you go through our website to join a group, uh, you'll be able to see comments from people as they read and place comments there. I have so enjoyed seeing so many of you opening God's word that way. Uh, And I know if there's that many doing it digitally, there are that many more that are doing it the old-fashioned way. I do both. I listen to it, and I read it right in front of me. But if you've got your Bible, I want you to stand up with me. Stand up. If you're using your phone, I want you to go ahead and put it on silent or airplane mode or whatever you need to do so it doesn't go off. But I want us to do this. I want you to hold your word up, and I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have tonight to open it up freely, to look at what is inside, the life-giving power of your very breath. Father, thank you for giving this to us, that we can have a guide for our life, that we can know the way to you through Jesus Christ, and that we can see ourselves in these very pages. But tonight, God, we want to know about you. We want to discover more about you. And I pray that the result of that will be us bowing more to you in worship, more praying to you and talking to you and asking you to lead our lives. And tonight, most importantly, Father, that through your word, that one more, one more will come to know you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for doing that with me. As you're having a seat, turn with me. Open up that Bible to the very first page. You're going to see table of contents. You're going to see some introduction that explains the translation that you're using. But the next page after that, you're going to see at the very top, it's going to say Genesis. And that is the first book of the Bible. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Are you ready? I've been ready all week for this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read it out loud together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to take your highlighter. If you've not written in your Bible yet, tonight's the night to start, all right? I want you to underline those first four words. In the beginning, God. Let's see. In the, yeah, that's four words. In the beginning, God. The main character of the entire Bible is introduced here in the first phrase. Who's the main character of the Bible? Is it you? No. Is it me? No. Is it the government? No. Who is it? It's God. It's God. The main character in the Bible is God. He's the reason for everything. He's the reason for it all. And it begins here by reminding us that all of creation and life itself flows out of who? It comes from him. It comes from him. The beginning of life as we know it is described right here. The next sentence tells us, 
that when there was nothing, and the word for create in the Bible, you need to understand this, in the Hebrew language was to create something out of nothing. It's not like we do today. We steal a little bit of this and we borrow a little bit of this and then we say, I created this. God created something for nothing. It says in verse two, it says that when there was nothing but darkness, nothing but a formless void before the hundred billion galaxies, before the beautiful full moon that we have seen these last few nights, before there were comets and, and asteroids, before all of this, the Spirit of God, it says, was hovering over this place, and he went to work creating space. He went to work creating space. The reason for the earth was to spend time, to spend eternity with you and with me. Now, just a side note tonight, we don't have time to go through all the apologetics, all of the arguments that you could have if you stood up against someone who chooses to believe that their ancestors came from monkeys or crawled out of the sea. We don't have time for that tonight. But this Monday in your reading, you're going to look at Job chapter 38 and 39. This week on Friday, you read chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job, looking at how Job was tempted by Satan, lost everything. But in the last chapters there of Job, you're going to hear God set Job down and explain creation to him and the significance the significance, the depth to which God went in creating all things. And my friends, my friends, if you will simply read that, it will give you the reassurance that you need, that it takes far more faith to believe that you came from a monkey or from some cataclysmic explosion. It takes more faith to believe that than it does that God created you and that he loves you. For six days, God created. God spoke into existence the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, every form of plant, every form of vegetation, every species of animal. Tonight downstairs, my wife is teaching in Clubhouse. She gave me these trivia questions that she's asking the students. What does a gorilla do when it's happy? Anybody know? It burps. It burps. See, you didn't know that? That's what a gorilla does when he's happy. I guess I'm part of the gorilla family. What animal, what animal can't jump? What animal can't jump? Y'all don't know anything. The, the, the kids downstairs are answering these questions. It's an elephant. Did you know an elephant can't jump? Truly can't, right? What animal can't stick out its tongue? I can what animal can't stick out its tongue? An animal. It is a reptile. A crocodile. Crocodile. Alligator, right? Can't stick out its tongue. Go see. True or false? True or false. This one, I had to use this one. Cracks me up. True or false? True or false. Sea lions are the only animals that can clap to the beat. No, it's true. I know you all can't, right? <laughs> At the end of each day, you'll read 
Well, it says God created every species of animal, the fish in the, in the ocean, the birds in the sky. What does it end with? It says, and God said it was good. It was good. Verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Now, we'll come back to this, but let us. Who's he talking about? Who's the us? It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. We'll take time in another message to explain all of that. But just remember, just as John 1 says in the New Testament, Jesus was here at creation. All right? He was right here with God when God created everything. And in chapter 2, verse 7, you want to know how God did it? It's right here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Verse 18 the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, Wow. No. The man said, the man said, this is, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, right, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And every man under the age of dead says, let's dress like they did back then, right? This is the introduction of the entire history of God and mankind. This is it. Everything begins with God. Everything begins with God. He's creator, first of all. He is creator. The universe, the galaxies, this little planet that we live on, men and women, they were all God's idea. His vision, why did he create us? He created us because he wanted to spend eternity. He wanted us to spend eternity in perfect community with him, our creator. He chose to bring you and me into the world for his pleasure. And to this day, he wants to walk with you. He wants to spend and share life with you, both in the deepest valleys and when you're on the mountaintop in the very best of times. At the end of this day, he said, this is very good. God is the creator. God is also the designer, the designer. He's the one who chose the design plan. Listen to this. It's him who chose the design for sexuality, that we would be male and female, period. 
It's he who put together the design plan for the partnership between a man and a woman that is called marriage. No state law, no federal law defines marriage. God does, and he did it all right here. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two will what? They will become one flesh. Partners through the covenant of marriage. One man, one woman, one flesh for a lifetime that complements one another. It was he who put together the design plan for friendships, what they're to look like for family, for the church. It was all his idea and it was all by his design. God created you. He purposed you, and in this, he is to be the authority of our life. And that's the, the third piece, and that is he is to be king. He is to be king. He is the Lord, capital T, capital L, of it all. Now, in Genesis chapter 3 through 6, God reveals this to us. And that is that moral responsibility undergirds all of life. Moral responsibility undergirds all of life. And any deviation from this morality that God has defined creates conflict. It creates conflict. In the midst of this perfect environment of Eden, something shifted. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. Many of you are familiar with this. In chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam, he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. And what does he say there? You can underline this too. What happens when Adam eats of that tree, should he choose to? Does that mean he's going to be all wise and everything's going to be wonderful? What happens today when you choose to go against something that God has said not to do? He says you die. Remember, sin equals death. Sin equals death. It's a common theme throughout God's word. Now, for some time after that, Adam and Eve, they obeyed. They listened. They went along with God's plan, his design. They lived in perfect harmony with him. And we don't know how long this lasted. It could have lasted days. It could have lasted months. It could have lasted years. In theory, they could have, eat, they could have continued to eat from the tree of life. Remember, God, God didn't warn them against that tree. And they could have lived forever with him in perfect harmony with God and with one another. But when God gave Adam and Eve a perfect home in the garden, relationship with him, what did he do? He gave us the freedom to choose. You and I call that free what? Free will. Free will. And you say, why would God do that knowing? Knowing that we would choose poorly? Why would he do that knowing? the painful consequences to choosing to go against him. Why would he do that? Because relationship 
Because love isn't love if you have not the choice to choose to embrace that love or to deny it. Think about the relationships that you have today. You want your spouse to choose you. I, I do. You want them to simply, not just simply love you out of duty or respect, even though some of you would, would really like to have that right now from your spouse. But you want those that you love to love you because they choose to love you. But there's more to it than that. The presence of this tree would have reminded Adam that he was not his own what? He was not his own God. That he was responsible to someone else. That he had moral responsibility at all times to his maker. And you see, this is one of the principles that God has built into this entire universe. And that is when we violate these principles, it is to our own peril. Think about when you tell your child, when you tell your child as we did in our house, do not touch the top of the stove. In our house, it was Mickey Mouse. Don't lay Mickey Mouse on top of the stove. Olivia laid Mickey Mouse on the top of the stove and it was bad. It was bad. Mickey Mouse melted down. There weren't bandages big enough to put Mickey Mouse back together like Humpty Dumpty. It was bad. But when you tell your child not to touch the stove or he or she will get burned, you're not threatening them. You're lovingly warning them. Out of kindness, God told Adam, for your own good, for your own good, you must make the proper choice when it comes to this tree. It was a reasonable request since God had given him permission to have anything else in the garden. But banning this one tree made Adam and Eve morally accountable to God. And moral responsibility undergirds all of life. Moral responsibility. There's two things I need you to understand about this. And the first is that God knows good and evil by relating it to himself. God knows good and evil by relating it to himself. Those things that go along with God's nature are good. Those things that are against God's nature are bad. All right, does that make sense? Good, evil, God makes the comparison to himself and makes the judgment whether it's good or evil. Now, when it comes to us who are created by God, we who are created by God are made to discover the difference between good and evil by comparison to God. Not ourselves, but to God. And when man ate the fruit, he began to do what God does. And that is to relate everything to himself. When man began to think of himself as the center of the universe, he made himself his own God. But it was all a lie. Because man is not the center of the universe. Man is not God. We are created beings and God is the creator. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 recounts the day that the choice was made. It recounts the day that Adam and Eve, Eve approached the tree. And it's the chapter that 
that helps us to discover the underlying struggle between good and evil. The Bible describes Satan this way. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. That's why he exists. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, representing Satan, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I'm going to give you some great insight here. You know how every once in a while you can get that one equation in math that will solve any problem. Here's that equation for us. Satan uses the same tactics today in order to convince us to disobey what God tells us to do and ultimately reject God. He hasn't had to change a thing since that day in the garden. He uses the same tactics today to get us to disobey what God tells us to do. And the very first thing that Satan does is he questions. He questions. Satan questions the word of God. In the garden, he said to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from all of this good fruit that's around us? You hear the question? Now, what did God said? Say, you can eat from anything except for this. But Satan comes along and he questions it. Have you ever questioned God or have you ever had that question come up? And when you, when you say it, it sounds all right. But when you step back from it or you hear someone else say it. Anybody in here ever question God's word when it comes to how he wants us to do relationships? Oh, it's okay to date someone who doesn't share my beliefs. It, it, it'll be okay. Have you ever questioned God? Ever Satan ever whisper in your ear, God doesn't want you to be unhappy, does he? Oh, he wants everybody to be happy. Everyone else is doing it. Nobody's perfect. It's okay. Just this once. Satan questions the word of God. Satan denies God's word. Verse 4, Satan says, you will not surely die. <laughs> what did God say? Did he make it not clear <laughs> when he introduced Adam to that tree? What did he say? You eat from this tree and what happens? You will surely die. And Satan says, ah, you won't die. A loving God wouldn't really allow this to happen to you. You've heard that, haven't you? Maybe you've even said it. God surely Surely you wouldn't allow this to happen. You're, you're better than that. Well, I'm not going to love you, God, if, you, if you're a mean God like that. And then the third thing Satan does is he reverses God's word. Satan says, you will not surely die. Instead, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like him. You'll know everything. You'll be able to see everything. Not only will you not die, but you are going to experience things you've, you've never seen before. And Eve buys into the question. She denies God's word, and she reverses her decision to abstain from the fruit. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her dumb husband who was with her. And he ate it because he doesn't think for himself. And from that moment, the world will never be the same. Genesis 3, 7 is an interesting verse because it says, then the eyes of both of them were open. Had their eyes been opened before? Absolutely. But they began to feel. They began to see things differently. It says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And worse yet, as you continue to read, now instead of walking in the cool of the day with God, where are they at? They're hiding out. They are hiding out. Adam and Eve, once living in perfect innocence, perfect harmony, completely uninhibited. Now they felt the guilt and shame and the first thing they wanted to do was hide. Why? Because that's what sin does. Sin causes everything to fall apart. And God has no choice but to move Adam and Eve out of the garden. Man would no longer be able to stay in the garden with God. Fear and the need to hide replace joy and innocence and perfect community. In chapter 4, after leaving the garden, we see that Adam and Eve began their family. You know how the story goes. They got together, they procreated, and they had Cain and Abel. Anybody remember what happened to the first family? Brother killed brother. Brother killed brother. And from there, it was a downhill slide. Generation after generation continued to get worse and worse. Evil became more prevalent, more prominent than good. We're introduced to weird beings like the Nephilim. Anybody come across that one and say, what in the world? Well, just so you know, the rest of us are saying what in the world, all right? That's one of those things, all right? Now, some scholars think that the Nephilim came from what's called the sons of God, fallen angels, who came. And one of the things that angels can do is they don't have wings, first of all. But one of the things that angels can do is they, they can transform into man-like beings, right? Like Gabriel other messengers that came from God. But these fallen angels, they, it's speculated that they became like men and they began to join together with women. And they had children that were these nine foot tall, large people called the Nephilim. But what we really need to understand here what we really need to understand, besides how the Nephilim came to be, who are mentioned three or four more times, what we really need to understand is that they were part of the corrupted, sinful earth that led to Genesis chapter 6. It was not good. It was just another manifestation of the evil that was so prevalent in the world. 
And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. <clears throat> and so God takes action. He looked to the one man in the world at the time who, verse 9 says, walked with God. He looked to this man named Noah and his family, and he commanded Noah to build what? To build an ark. The boat the size of one and a half football fields. You can see a model of it to the exact specifications that the Bible gives up in northern Kentucky at the ark encounter. A boat that would take years and years to build, all the while Noah would face the cynicism and the questions of his evil neighbors and community. God has Noah and his family get on the ark. God himself brings two of every kind of animal right there for Noah to usher onto that ark. God himself comes and closes the door to the ark and seals it up. And then what happens? The waters break open from underneath the earth. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And it doesn't just create a large body of water in some Arab state of the country. It floods the entire world. It covers the top of the highest mountains. The ones that Sarah tried to drag me up and down just a couple months ago. He covered it all. He covered it all until every living creature other than those on the ark were killed, were eliminated. Now you would think that this would rock Noah and his family and his daughter-in-laws to the core, wouldn't it you? To see your neighbors, to see your friends, to see your family drown, wouldn't it shake you? Wouldn't it cause you to really consider how you should live and how you should act? But after the waters rescinded, no one his family got off the boat, what's it say? It says that he planted a vineyard. He got the grapes from that vineyard. He let them sit until they became wine. And then he got drunk. He got so drunk that he passes out and his son disgraces him by looking at him in the tent while he's passed out. Why? <laughs> Seems so foolish. Because the solution for restoring mankind to the relationship we had with God would not come, would not come from us it would not be found in us, not Noah, not you, not me. Now here we are, just seven chapters this week. <laughs> seven chapters into the Bible, and God could have said, that's it. He could have given up on us. But the message that you need to take away is that God did not. God did not give up on us. God in his great mercy, beginning with Adam, what did he do with Adam and Eve when they sinned? He clothed them. He clothed them. He took care of their sin. Even in Cain's sin, 
If you read that chapter, whether it was included in your reading or not, you know, what we're reading does not go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You have to press the button at the bottom of the app to read the entire chapter. We're, we're just hitting, hitting the highlights as we go through the Bible from cover to cover on F260. But if you read there what happens to Cain, God blesses them. He puts a mark on Cain so that no one would take him out even though he deserved to be taking out for killing his brother. God even protects him. Has God ever protected you in your foolishness and your time apart from him? I know he has me. And I would say he has you because some of you are here and you probably, probably shouldn't be because of the things that you have exposed yourself to. His love for his people is evident even in the midst of their failures, regardless of all that we've done, God still wants us to be with him. That's the message of the first seven chapters. And if you look really closely, there are three windows of hope painted in the midst of these opening chapters of Genesis. The first is this, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, make sure you write that down, because that is the first mention, that is the first prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. 4,000 years before he came, it's right here in Genesis 3.15. God says to Satan, you will bruise the heel of the seed of the offspring of Adam and Eve, but he will crush your head. It's the most exciting sentence in this chapter. Satan, Satan, you may feel like you have won a temporary victory on Friday when the Son of Man is bruised, when he is hung on that tree and he is declared dead. But listen, in two days he's going to rise from the dead and he's going to crush your head. He's going to put an end to the fear and the sting of death. The second is found right after Adam and Eve sinned. They felt ashamed. They were trying to cover up themselves with fig leaves. And listen to what God did in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. There was nothing that Adam and Eve could do to cover up their sin. Just like you and I, there is nothing that we can do to cover it up. You may think it's buried. You may think nobody knows. But my friends, eventually it will all come out. It will all come to the surface. But there was something that God could do. And so God himself took an animal and shed its blood. Do you realize this was the first, the first shedding of blood? God's teaching us that every time a person sins, it's followed by the shedding of blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. God's teaching them a lesson. He's teaching us a lesson over and over again. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. Man cannot cover his own sin. But Jesus Christ would come one day and his own blood would be shed that there would be a permanent covering for man's sin. And today it has. It's the reason why we're here. 
is because Jesus Christ has once and for all provided a covering, his own blood, that covers our sin. And if you've accepted him as Savior and Lord over your life, you are forgiven. He has also brought that connection back that we once had in the garden. It is a direct connection with God. He lives with us. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. But if you haven't accepted his sacrifice, if you're still struggling with who's going to be in charge of your life, understand that there's nothing you can do on your own to make things right. Only God can forgive your sins. And only God can restore you. There's three next steps I want you to jot down while the band comes. And the first is this. Keep reading. Keep reading. Just by show of hands, tell me the truth. How many of you have begun reading the Bible plan that we handed out last week? That is spectacular, folks. That is spectacular. Brenda Biggs, how many times have you read through the Bible cover to cover? 20? 26 times. 26 times. She's on the 27th. She wants to make it clear. She's on the 27th time. <laughs> and Brenda came up to me right before the service. She said, you're going to be upset with me if I read the whole Bible and, and not just do the plan that you've got. And I said, Brenda, no, I'm not going to be upset with you. Truth is, she knows the Bible better than I do. Probably any one of us in the room. Go ahead and read it. Again, But my friends, the reason why I want you to keep reading is not for the statistic to say the entire church read the Bible. But my friends, the life that you're looking for can only be yours if you know what to look for and you know how to live it. Open his word. It will change your life. Just reading the word will bless you, the book of Revelation says. So keep reading. Let God's word begin and continue to answer the questions you have in your life. And you know that's something that I noticed this week? Is not once did Adam and Eve go to God and ask him anything. When Satan came slithering up there, they should have gone straight to God and said, God, should I trust this snake with a lisp? Should I? And what would God have said? No. Remember what I told you. There's so much more for you. If only you'll choose this. Our friends, God wants to hear your questions. There's no question that's silly. There's no question that's beyond him. Second, be part of a small group of guys or girls or join a home group, a life group. Make a commitment to yourselves and others to be right here to be right here, it's the first of the year. And let me challenge you. Let nothing get in your way of the gathering. Let nothing get in the way of your gathering. Now I wanna mention before I, I leave today, I wanna to mention Eileen Hines who has been watching for the last three weeks online because of her upper respiratory infection and her cough. And it's killing her. She calls me every week and says, I'm sorry I can't be there. There's nothing like being there. 
And so I want to recognize Eileen, who's watching either tonight or tomorrow morning at home. I want to recognize Paula Stewart, who sat in these pews all of her life and gave to this ministry, who's no longer able to get up and walk on her own, who watches, who watches with you every week from her chair in her living room. She even has her aide watching it with her today. Howard. Howard, who Brandon had the opportunity to baptize just a few years ago in his 70s, has a lung disease to where he cannot leave his house without the oxygen now. And Howard watches every week. I hear from him almost every week. He sends a text and says, well, that one wasn't so good or that one was good. There's someone named Mildred that watches every week online and always comments. And and I just want to say thank you, Mildred, for being faithful. There's one of you who works in a law office and one of the secretaries in Louisville watches this service every week online. Here's my point, friends. Jesus Christ has done enough by rescuing you and me from our sins that we should be before him every week in worship. If anything else is important, more important than that, then they are an idol in your life. They have taken the place of God and that should not be. I thought I would hear an amen from at least one of you who shows up. Is it not true? Some of you have let your grandchildren become idols. You've let sports become idols. You've let time off become an idol. Some of you have had cancer. Some of you have begged God for more time, and then you don't come to church. Let that not be the case this year. Be present and hear what he has to say to you through his word. Number three, Stop hiding and let God cover you today with his grace and love through Jesus Christ. Stop hiding. Aren't you so glad that God walked through the garden that day and said, hey, Adam, get out from behind the bushes and come and stand before me. My friends, God is calling you out from behind the bushes. You're going to stand before him in judgment one way or another. You might as well do it today and not live the rest of your life scared to death about what's going to happen. Get it right today. He loves you. He has a design for your life. He chose you. Choose him. Make him king. Give him your everything. Be baptized. Be part of his family. I'm going to pray for you, and then I encourage you to come. I encourage you to come for any reason that you have, but there are three main ones that we should be responding every week to here. This is not an altar. Jesus Christ is our altar, so make no mistake, this is not an altar call. But it's a call to prayer. And every one of us at times needs a prayer of another man or a woman. And if you need prayer then you come and receive prayer tonight. If you need to receive Jesus Christ, it doesn't happen by saying a sinner's prayer or by raising your hand. It happens when you confess him before man. Your belief in him. You turn from your way of living 
and you turn toward him and you are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit who will dwell and walk with you every day. Come and be baptized. Last Saturday night, we had the opportunity to bear witness to a man who'd come back after being gone for years, who was now in his 11th week or 11th month, either one's a celebration of sobriety. And he came back and he said, I want, I want to stay sober, but I want to be committed to Jesus Christ. Come and recommit yourself to him. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have in this series to read together and to share thoughts with each other and to encourage one another. Lord, what a difference it's already made and what a difference it's going to make in your church, in the lives of these people, but also in our community and around the world. Who knows but that one who would come tonight for prayer would be the one to save my grandchild that has yet to even be thought of or to be born. Who knows that someone who surrenders their life to you tonight would be the one to lead a person in one of the darkest corners of the world to you. Father, you've called every one of us and you've purposed every one of us when you created us and breathed life into us. Lord, help us to surrender to you now, not later, to your perfect plan and will. In Jesus' name, amen. Come.